Last week we uh, started Galatians, and we we did two chapters. That's like a record. I was I was flying uh, last week, but we're only going to do one chapter, uh, Galatians chapter three, and uh, what we learned about the Galatians uh, was a region, and Paul is writing writing them, and it's, it's very similar to what happened in the Philippians. He's got a group of people that are coming behind him, and they're preaching a different. They say you could. Uh, he's preaching. You're saved by grace, and and then these these uh, I would they're actually Jewish people, Jewish Christians who have been saved, and they're coming behind and they're saying, hey, uh, you you are what Paul preached was right, but you also need to follow the rituals of the Jewish nation, and this is certain things, and they're putting parameters on what Paul's teaching, and so he is really uh, confronting that behind him, and uh, and so we'll. We'll kind of dive right into there. Galatians chapter 3, and if you need a theme on this first portion of this chapter, I believe there's 29 verses here. Uh, it can be by faith or by or by the works of the law, and that's a question mark behind that. So uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. I like how he starts this one. Oh, foolish Galatians. Anybody, uh, that, that's not, that's probably not. Uh, a very uh, sweet way to meet, to meet someone or say, say to greet someone. <laughs> he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So Paul's pretty bold, uh, and he just flat out calls them foolish. Nobody likes to be called a fool. Ask Mr. T. He says, I pity the fool. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Some of you are like, I don't care. Just be quiet, TJ. Move on. Uh, uh, and, and it's not because he's being mean here. He's actually showing their behavior and their attitudes were just not wise. Anybody ever made foolish decisions? Anybody made some dumb decisions? Well, and so he's just kind of doing that. And he says, who has bewitched you? And it's not Samantha Stevens or Elizabeth Montgomery. Or Some of you know what I'm talking about, bewitched? All right, all right. I'm going to make sure you guys know. You guys watch TV around here. All right. Uh, so uh, why, and he's saying this, why do you no longer embrace and enjoy the simplicity of Jesus Christ? How many know that oftentimes in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we overcomplicate it, we make it harder than it needs to be, and simple, you know, Jesus said, he said this when he came and fulfilled uh, the law, he didn't abolish the law, he fulfilled the law, there's a difference there, but he said, you know, it's simply this, this is, this, you know, love God, and love your neighbor, okay, that's, that's it. Plain and simple, that's what, what he did. So uh, verse 2 says this, let me ask you only this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So how did you receive the spirit? Was it by your works or the law? Uh, were, you, were you doing things or were you refraining from things? No, that's not, you didn't do it by anything that you did. You, you, you simply did it by faith. When you receive Jesus, for, for those who have asked Christ into their heart, two things. It's by Jesus' grace, and it's by, by faith. We, um, those are the two things. Ephesians 2.8 uh, mentions that. I actually talked about that today at the funeral. And, and grace and faith. And he's saying that simply by faith. In John uh, chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus had raised uh, from the dead, it, and I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Jesus is there with the disciples, and he uh, breathed into them, and, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so when they're saved, 
we are, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And then he told them in Acts chapter 1 to wait for the promise of the Father, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, you, I've, I know I've covered that over the last three weeks, and it keeps popping its head up. So get it in your spirit, and we'll move on, okay? That's, that's the way uh, it'll be. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. The reason that uh, for being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be to to give you boldness to be the Lord's witnesses, and uh, and I think oftentimes in, in Pentecostal ranks we misfired on that a little bit. We focused a lot on the gifts, but we weren't very good witnesses, um, and so oftentimes that pushed a lot of people away from church. Uh, oftentimes, and uh, but that the Lord's setting us straight here, so we're we can we can learn. And we can get better. How many know that we can learn and get better? All right. So when we are saved or first believed, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And that's that still small voice um, once you're saved. And you're about to do something that you know you shouldn't do. And the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. Anybody, anybody ever experienced that? Or maybe you're going to say something to somebody who's been rude to you in the store. And you're going to say something. The Holy Spirit says, just keep your mouth shut. Anybody ever did? That's me right there. Okay, thank you, Lord, for helping me keep my mouth shut. And uh, and 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 so he he's saying this. But has we know this that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But has the Holy Spirit come upon you? I, I know you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? And uh, I think there there is a drastic difference there. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? It? And it's what Paul asked the the church in Ephesus in in Acts. Chapter 19, verse 2. And so, and, and it's really simple. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all we really have to do is ask. It's, it's, it is a free gift from God. How many like free gifts? How many wish that I was like Oprah in here going, you get a car, you get a car. I mean, this place would be full next week, right? Well, guess what? You can receive the Holy Spirit. You just have to ask. And the Lord wants to give you that. Some of you aren't excited about that as much as you would if I said you're getting a car. But, uh, but just ask. And it's not by your works. It's not by what, how you achieve the law. It's, it's, it's you just receive it. You just receive it. And we receive it by hearing the word of God and receiving it in faith. It's really too simple. Um, and most of us think, man, there's got to be more to it than that. It has to have something else tagged to it it's really you ever get like an offer in the mail and it's too good to be true right you know you get that you know publisher's clearinghouse you won five you and your you know one of your friends can win five thousand dollars for the rest of your life blah 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 and, it, and you're like yeah i won and then you call and they're like but you need to order this 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 then you get entered and then they get your information and then they just send you a bunch of stuff right all right all right so i'm talking about but and we think and oftentimes you know we think man it's it's got to be harder than that but really the simplicity of the gospel it's really simple we overcomplicate it we make it harder than we need to and Paul every time he comes in to any place that he's speaking he simplifies things he brings it down he he simplifies it brings it back to its to its true purpose and and honestly Paul he would you know sometimes we think man we have to be perfect to receive the Holy Spirit, we have to have our uh, uh, an amazing prayer life. We have to be fasting. We have to do all these things. And those things are great. We need those things. But, but the truth of the matter is all we got to do is believe in faith and just accept it and just ask, ask God to give it to us. So 
You don't I'm look at your neighbor and say, don't let anyone complicate that for you, all right? Um, uh, you simply receive the Holy Spirit by asking and, and hearing in faith. So verse 3 says this, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's a pretty bold statement. Again, calling, calling them foolish again. He's making a point. You've been, you've been bewitched. I believe he's making a point. He's saying, look at this. Look at your behavior. How many have ever said something uh, pretty strong like that to your kids? You're not like calling your kids a fool or, a, or you know, but just don't act that way. You know, don't, don't be foolish in how you're acting. I'm not calling you foolish, but don't be foolish in how you're acting. That's what he's doing. You began in the spirit, and then you, you heard the word, and you received it by faith. And he's, Paul is basically saying this. Stop listening to these people who are trying to deceive you. They're trying to tell you there's more required of you, and there simply is not. And, um, and what he's saying there is what is foolish is that the fact that you're believing them Versus believing what you know and what I've already told you. And so he's, he's calling them out. Verse 4 says this. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So there oftentimes is an arrogance from those who are trying to earn God's blessing. Um, uh, people that, you know, I've, I've talked about this. I've talked about this in the last, I don't know, couple weeks or whatever. How oftentimes... When, you know, the law, and I talked about the two different groups, there's, you know, the Grace Vase and Antioch, and then the boys in Jerusalem, they kind of have two different philosophies of ministry, and that's okay. How many know tension is all right? But oftentimes, when we get into a place of, of legalism, where we think that we have to earn our way completely, it's all that we do, that's called legalism. That means, you know, legal, legalism may look like this. You have to dress a certain way. You have to do... And, and really, Jesus never preached that. Those are man-made rules. Oftentimes, we do that. Now, now, listen, you ought to be modest. Jesus did preach modesty, right? But a lot of times, we just got a little bit too sideways with legalism, and we, we kind of go that direction versus the other way. So, uh, But we need to understand that the pendulum, if we can. There we go. All right, can you hear me now? Uh, and, and so he's. You know, the key to this is we cannot work our way into heaven. I made a statement today at a funeral, and and I said, I used the verse Ephesians 2, 8, and it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's, there's two things there. There's Jesus' grace and there's your faith. And, and it's God's standard that we have to live up to, not our standard. And oftentimes, this is what I hear as a pastor. Well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. And that is a lie because your standard is not God's standard. And oftentimes, you know, and so uh, in moments like today at that funeral, I was able to kind of speak that because people are thinking at funerals. How many know when you're at a funeral, you're thinking about death because it's right in front of you usually. And they're thinking about that. And, and I, you know, made, <laughs> made the, the uh, I just kind of pled with them today and said, hey, if you don't know Jesus, it's not by how good you are, your works. It's only by grace. And it's only by faith in him, all right? Verse 5 says this, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you uh, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's talking about two things here. In the Old Testament, they abided by the law, right? Uh, Jesus gave, Mo or Jesus the Lord gave Moses 
the Ten Commandments, right? He came down with the Ten Commandments unless you, what is that movie, War of the Worlds or whatever, where he comes down with 15 and one false. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about and some of you don't. But anyway, no, the Lord only gave him Ten Commandments. And thank you. Someone knows what I'm talking about. I can't remember what the name of the movie is, but it's just, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't worry, doesn't, doesn't matter now. Anyways, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And so Moses, there he is, and he comes down. And he has these Ten Commandments, and what does man do? We turn Ten, ten Commandments into 600-plus laws to follow. If you don't, you look at Leviticus and start reading. You, wanna, you want something to put you to sleep? Start reading Leviticus because it's just laws. This is what you should do. This is how you do. This is what you can do here. This is what you can't do here. And it's 600-plus laws out of ten. Boy, it sounds like our government, right, overcomplicating things. What should be simple is always overcomplicated, and that's what happens. So uh, he's saying this. Who is the person uh, that, that the works, miracles by the Spirit refer to here? And I believe, I believe here, it's Paul. Uh, when he entered Galatia, he saw a lame man, and he healed him. And that's, that's kind of how it starts. And then it's not Paul, but the Spirit of God within Paul, and him believing that God will do it. How many know, how many believe that when you pray for something that God will do it? All right. I believe that. I, I do. And God still uses people to heal. Uh, the key is God uses imperfect people. Right? I can tell you this. If somebody prays for you and, and you're healed, it's number one, it's not them. It's the Lord working through them. The Lord speaking through them. It has zero to do with them, and it all has to do with him, capital H. Okay? Uh, talking about the Lord. And so the key is God uses imperfect people. You know why? I know that because I'm here, and you're here. God uses imperfect people to, to move his plan forward, and uh, no one is perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not perfect. You are not. No one wants to say that. It's like, I don't want to say that. You are not perfect. Verse, uh, uh, people oftentimes who have healing ministries have, have a way of believing that God will move. And, and oftentimes, some people, man, some people just have those kind of ministries. Anybody ever heard of a man named Smith Wigglesworth? Pretty awesome name, right? Smith Wigglesworth did some crazy, like when he, when he prayed for people, I mean, just stuff that we would go, that is just bonkers. But God used him in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes we, we look at those people and we put them up on a pedestal, but it's really not them. It's the Lord working through them. And they're just being willing vessels to allow the Lord to work through them. And uh, I've prayed for people. And when I've prayed for people, the enemy has said to me, what if God doesn't heal them? Or what if God doesn't touch their situation? Anybody ever done that? Oh, the devil likes to mess with your mind. And so you're praying with people and, and you think, man, should I? Should I say that God's going to heal them or should I not? And then so automatically my, my doubt starts coming in and the faith that I had working begins to, to dwindle. And I've fallen prey to those devices in my life. And the truth is it's not dependent on me. It's not. It's, it's dependent on, 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 and it's faith that moves God, and it's dependent on God and his faithfulness. So pray for people. Love on people. Man, don't let the enemy come in and, and spread doubt. Uh, verse 6 says this, just as Abraham, now this is where we're getting the meat of this. This is a very, I'll, I'll just preface this. This chapter 3 has a, a lot of substance to it. It has a ton of substance to it. 
Uh, verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So um, if you know anything about Abraham, he wasn't doing, uh, doing something to impress God. He was just simply believing in and on God. That's it. Just believing in and on God. And, and, and God declared Abraham righteous. That's what he said. That's what he said about Abraham. He said, you are righteous. And all Abraham did say, Lord, I believe what you're saying, and I'm just going to trust in you. How many could use a little bit of that kind of Abraham faith in your life? Lord, I'm just going to believe what you say, and, and I'm just going to have faith in you. So Paul points to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation here. He, so these, you remember these, these Jewish leaders are coming in behind Paul. Christian leaders are coming in. They're preaching the law. When did God give the law? He gave it to Moses. When was Abraham in congruence to Moses? Before Moses. You know how 430 years or so before Moses, God spoke to Abraham who just simply believed. I'm pointing something out here. And then 430 years later, the law comes along and he gives that to Moses. So, And so Paul's making an argument here to the Galatians and he's pointing out something that we need to catch here. This is, this is the whole uh, cusp of this whole chapter right here is simply this. Abraham simply believed. It wasn't by what he did. He just believed and trusted in God. Moses came along. The law came, and it was like, do this, 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 right? And so Jesus comes, and he is the ultimate sacrifice. And Paul's saying, it's simply this. It's by God's grace. It's by faith believing. He was going back to believing. So the ones uh, whose heritage, the, rel the re religious people, the Judaizers, is they claimed as their own example of faith. So they, they knew who Abraham was. I mean, they were the ones who, Father Abraham, that was, they, that was, that was their guy. Still to this day, um, you know, when you talk to uh, Jewish people, if you said, hey, uh, can you tell me a little bit about Abraham? Most of them, most of them are going to be able to tell you. A lot of history about Abraham and how he is the father of their nation. Okay? So look at this. Verse 7 says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And what, what Paul's saying here is it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. If you, have faith in, uh, if you have faith in God, you're linked to Abraham, the father of faith. You know why Abraham had many sons? Because we're linked to Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm going to show you something here. Uh, verse, verse 8 says this, And the scripture foreseeing what God would justify, uh, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Because, he's saying this, Because you simply believe in me, Abraham, I can do a mighty work through you. So what the Lord said to him, it's what I can do. And here's what I know. If God is not a respecter of persons, imagine what God can do in your life and my life if I just simply believe in faith. I told you, it's just simple. It's really simple. We overcomplicate it. We think we got to do all these things if we just simply trust the Lord in faith. So Paul's pointing out that God had the Gentiles in mind long before the law was given. It's what he's doing. He's pointing this out to the Galatians here, and he's saying, listen, long before the law, 
which, which points towards Jesus long before that, Abraham just simply believed in God. How many are with me? You following me? All right, verse 9 says this. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, verse, verse 10 says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the law is a curse. Okay, so Moses, we're talking about Abraham believing. 430 years later, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments turn into 600-something uh, things that the Jewish people are trying to do and they're trying to live out. But the law is a curse. You know why it's a curse? Because we cannot do it. No one can do it. No one can live up to that standard. And, and we've all, we have all failed at one of the Ten Commandments, right? If you failed at one of the Ten Commandments, raise your hand. All right. We have all failed. If you didn't raise your hand, you just failed because you just lied. <laughs> we have all failed at one of the Ten Commandments. We've all, and it, the scripture tells us this, if you fail at one, you break them all. That's what it says. You break them all. Uh, imagine this, you're on a desert island and you, you have enough resources to make a, a makeshift raft and you sail out to sea and you get about 20 miles out to sea and you see one of the pieces of your raft breaks off and the raft starts to, to crumble and, and it messes up. So it's the same thing for us. So imagine that your makeshift raft is the law and there it is and you break one of those, guess what, water begins to seep in and it begins to collapse. So you break one, the whole thing's going down. So the same is true for, for you and I. When we break one commandment, we are guilty of breaking them all. You say, oh, I haven't, I haven't done those. But well, the law stands together equally. Okay? All right. Verse 11 says this. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteousness shall live by faith. So he's quoting here. He's quoting here. Not himself out of Romans. He's actually quoting Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, first said that the just shall live by faith. That's Old Testament for all the people that are keeping record. The, the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so in Romans 1.17, Paul says it again. And, he, and, and in Romans 1.17, he says, we are justified. We are justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. And in Hebrews 11, uh, he emphasizes faith. He does. So Hebrew 11, chapter 11, it emphasizes faith. We call that the, the hall of faith, right? If you read Hebrews 11, it starts, it starts with uh, the definition of faith, and then it starts talking about the men and women who, who were faithful. Abel. It's one of them. Enoch. Noah. Abraham. Moses, and it just keeps going down the list. There's this huge list of people there, and that's what we call the hall of faith. Those are the, the, the people who just, the Bible makes a mark of that they just simply believed in God. So here in Galatians, the emphasis is on the live. So in Romans 1.17, the emphasis is on justification. In Hebrews 11, the emphasis is on faith. The just shall live by faith. And here in Galatians, the emphasis is on live. Okay, living by faith. Uh, how many want to be happy and fruitful in your relationship with Jesus? The just shall live by faith. That's it. It's pretty simple. Martin Luther, you, you know, many of the great church reformer, um, he fasted and he prayed and he beat his chest until he read that verse and he realized that it was already done and he didn't have to 
do anymore. Uh, it's, it's really freeing when you think about that. Uh, it's not how much you pray. Should I pray? Yes. It's not about how many devotions or fasting that you do. Should you do those things? Absolutely. Those are all good, but it's, it's not how much of those that I do that saves me. How much I read my Bible is not going to save me, but what saves me is justification by faith, my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example here. When I used to, uh, in high school, I grew up in a time uh, where, like, cell phones were too expensive for kids to have, right? And, and pagers were kind of around, but now I think, man, that was really dumb to have. Anybody have a pager growing up? All right, a few people, a few people, like, not growing up. What's that? No, <laughs> you did So, uh, so in school, in school, Tristan would write me letters. Anybody know about writing letters to someone you like in school? And me and Tristan would write letters back and forth. And if Tristan gave me a letter in between classes, uh, I didn't put that letter in my pocket and say, oh, I'll read it later tonight. Uh, I didn't get up, uh, and, and then, and I didn't get up the next morning and say, "Oh, I'll read it in the morning," or wait until the next convenient moment to read. You know what I did? Instead, you know what I did? When I got into my next class, I pulled out my book, and I opened up that letter inside of my book, like I'm really paying attention, and I began to read what Tristan wrote to me because there was information on that letter that was pertinent to me that I needed to know. Like, if she thought I was good looking, if she wanted to hang out with me, or, you know, whatever the case. And that's how we used to pass information for all, all the people that don't, that were previous to that time. Some of you know what I'm talking about back in the day, writing a letter. And, uh, but I would analyze that letter, and I would research it, and I, would, I needed to know what she said. Same thing with grace and mercy. It makes me excited to pray. When I think about God's grace on my life, when I think about God's mercy on my life, it makes me go, man, I'm excited to pray to God because guess what? He has been so good to me. And it makes me want to get up and say, hey, I want to read my devotion today. I want to know what the Lord is speaking to me. It makes me want to fast and mercy. It goes on and on. It's not because I have to do it. It's because I get to do it. That's the difference. That's the difference there, okay? And I like that. Verse 12 says this, but the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. So it's real simple. The law says you must do it and keep doing it. Leviticus 18.5 says that. The law says you must do it and you must keep doing it. Faith says he did it, it's done. John chapter 19, verse 30. How many are so glad that Jesus took care of it? Amen. Verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the original sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said from this point on, you're going to labor for bread and you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. How many appreciate Adam and Eve for doing that? All right. And you're going to work through thorns and thistles. Anybody had to walk through some thorns and thistles at times? Man, there's nothing more frustrating when you're you get scratched going through the woods, right? And, and then came Jesus who in the upper room became, and he talked to his disciples, he became the bread of life. And his sweat mingled with blood on the cross, and he wore a crown of thorns on his head. He became all of those things that God said man was going to do. He did that. And that's what I love about Jesus. He absorbed it all for you and for me. How many are happy about that? Amen. Uh, he who knew no sin 
became sin and became curse for you and for me. And Paul is doing there, and he's got like a stake, and he's driving this point home. Pa-bang, pa-bang, pa-bang. Jesus did it all. What Christ did was incredible, so wonderful. So how could we even think anything we could do in our own efforts could add anything to the work that Jesus had already completed? When we think we can work our way to heaven, do you ever think about this? I, I, I've, I thought about this when I was studying this. It's kind of prideful to think that you could supersede what Jesus has already done. It, it really is. It's like Jesus has already completed the work. We don't have to do anymore. Man, I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited about that. It says this, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And this verse is obviously talking about Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary's tree or the cross. And I think it has application for us as well. Uh, if we look at, at it in light of another uh, who hung on a tree, and we're talking about Jesus there. Verse 14 says this, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. Oh, wait, we're coming back to Abraham. All right? So in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Hey, guess what? That's for me. That's for me. That's for you. Should come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So this is basically what that's saying. Jesus paid the price so we could receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we have, we, God, he, he, he paid the price and all the power and blessing of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's not by works, but it's by faith. And it was accomplished on Calvary. All right. Verse 15 says this. Uh, to, give, to give a human example, brothers. I don't know what other kind of examples there are. Uh, to give a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. I, it was funny today. I was, there was a man who came to the funeral today. He came to the dinner. I believe it was the brother. Of, of Joe Spirit, and he used to be a minister, and he was walking out, and he said, I have a, I have a question, pastor, and I was like, okay, and I thought, man, he's going he's gonna to hit me with something that I, that I don't know, or so I said something wrong, or something like, and he said, I've been married to my wife, and I can't remember what he said, like 47 years, it was something, something way up there, and, and uh, he said, is it too late to get an annulment? And I, I just, I, I said, oh, yeah, it's way past, buddy. You, you just need to stick with it at this point. He was just joking. Um, but, uh, but no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. How many would sign a car contract with the lender but give the lender the advantage to just go ahead and change the contract whenever they want it on you? I don't think any, anyone in their right mind would sign a contract like that. Okay, we're just going to just randomly raise the interest rate on you because we can. Or we're going to randomly change your payment or, or whatever. And, and I find this funny, I, I, that first portion of that, of that scripture says to give a human example. I don't know what kind of other examples there are. Um, I don't know, non-human examples? I don't know. Um, let me use an example that, that you're familiar with. That's what he's saying. Once two people sign a contract, neither can add to it or take away from it, right? Um, if, you, if they can, then you got a bad contract. That's it, plain and simple. Verse 16 says this, now the promise, promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one. Oh, man, some of your, some of your theology is going to go... Pfft. 
all right? And, and to, to your offspring, who is Christ, all right? Uh, in most minds, we hear Abraham's seed, we think of the Jewish nation, right? Anybody guilty? I'm guilty of that, right? And, and, but Paul's contending here that the promise was made not to many seeds, but to one seed, Jesus Christ. And that one seed is, is Jesus Christ. So the promise of God to bless the world comes not through just the Jewish nation. I believe that it is a, a blessed nation. I believe God has a purpose for Israel, but through Jesus exclusively to all people in all places. You're the seed of Abraham. You have Jesus in your heart, you're the seed of Abraham. You are. How many think that that is awesome? I mean, I, I, man, that should make you want to get up and just do a Jericho march around this place because you are the seed of Abraham because of Jesus Christ in you. All right, look at this, verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. When God says something, he doesn't come back on his word. When he comes forward and he says something, he does not come back on his word. Uh, it, it does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void, verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. He's making a point here to the Galatians. Listen, 430 years earlier, God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant that through his seed, Jesus Christ, everyone who wanted would be blessed. And 430 years later, here comes the law, right? And it was given. But the law could not take away the promise of the blessing given to Abraham. That's not how God works. He doesn't say one thing and flip Flip the switch, okay? God, when he says it, he's going to carry it through. In other words, the law does not legally or logically have the power to negate the blessing that God gave to Abraham through Christ. These, I know. I told you this is a very meaty chapter. There's a lot of substance here. And Paul is about to show us that since we are in Christ, the blessing that comes to us is neither given because we keep the law nor nullified by our failure to keep it. And the law is completely irrelevant as it relates to the blessing of God. And I don't know about you, that is a fabulous truth for you and me. That is a fabulous truth. It is awesome. Look at this. Next part says, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And Abraham was given a promise by God that his offspring would, would number like the stars and the sands on the beaches. Mind you, Abraham didn't have any children at that time. But let me tell you something that Abraham did. He believed that God was going to make it happen. Some of you are in situations and you know you want God to move and you don't see the answer and you don't see it necessarily in front of you. You just got to trust in God, his timing. And later in life, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, I am your shield and your great reward. How many want the Lord to be your shield and your great reward? Amen. I do. And, and, and he said this. And, and still, Abraham, no kids. And he's like, Lord, I'm getting a little bit older. We're all getting older, right? Every second, every day. I'm a little bit older than I was last week. Here's what he did. He made a covenant with God. And he wanted to seal an agreement. And you know what Abraham did? I love this story. 
And it's easy to kind of just read over this and not catch the, 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 what's actually going on. And Abraham goes out and he, he cuts an animal in half. He cuts a bull or a bullock, depending on what translation you have. It's just a bull. And he laid it out and he waited for God to show up. That's what he did. He went out and he's like, okay, God, you, you told me I, w- I was going to have a great nation come from me. So here I am. And he puts this bull and he cuts it in half. And here, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. How many times do we come in and we're like, Lord, I'm just going to sit here and just wait on you until you do something. Right? And so here we are. We're, we're like Abraham. That's what we do. And, and so there he is. And he's there and he's waiting. And as he's waiting, the Lord hasn't showed up. And birds are coming in and they're starting to try to pick at his bull that has been cut open and waiting so what does he do he gets up and he shoes the birds away right and he's waiting and waiting and there he's waiting again and as he's waiting more birds come and he shoes them away he's waiting and he's waiting finally he's sitting there and how many know sometimes you get tired when you have to wait and Abraham we know he's pretty old at this point Abraham's sitting there and he's waiting and maybe his eyes get heavy Anybody ever drove and your eyes get heavy? Get off the road, right? And his eyes are getting heavy. His eyes are getting heavy. Some of you are like, my eyes are getting heavy right now, TJ. You better just get on with what you're talking about. And as he's there, his head begins to bob. I mean, anybody ever woke yourself up when you, when you fall asleep, like on a recliner, and you're like, whoa, you know, because you feel like you're falling? Anybody ever do that? I don't like that. It's scary, right? And, 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 and he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Now look at this. And when he awoke, and you can look this story up in Genesis 15. When he awoke, sometime later, he looked at the bull or the bullock and saw that it had been barbecued. That's pretty cool. I'm just going to say, you know. And it had been barbecued. It had, it had been burned up. And God had come when Abraham was asleep and moved through the carcass is actually what, what, it, what it says. And I like this because God didn't meet Abraham halfway. When Abraham wanted him to meet him, no, 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 he met him all the way. Because Abraham couldn't do anything. He fell asleep, right? He was tired. He was wore out. And let me tell you something about the Lord. When we believe, when we trust in him, he does the heavy lifting. Guess what? You don't have to do the heavy lifting. He does more than meet you halfway. He meets you where you need to be met. And I love that. And, and you say this, well, TJ, don't I have a, a part to play? And, yes, it's simple. You know what your part is? Shoo the, the birds of doubt away. <laughs> Just literally. That, that's our, our, when we're waiting on God, when the birds of doubt come in and you're like, man, Lord, are you ever going to do this? Get out of here. He's going to do it. And that's our part is that. It's simply that the buzzards of cynicism that says God's not going to use you or God's not going to bless you and, and you haven't prayed enough and there they are. Peck, 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 peck. And you just got to say, get on out of here. Right? And our job is to simply shoo them, those birds away of unbelief and remind the Lord that he, what he said, that, that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? He, and he said uh, that he would never leave us and that he was going away to prepare a place for us. God's got a lot of promises, and guess what? You need to hold him to them. And, and you said, hey, Lord, you would give, give us the Holy Spirit, and I say thank you, Lord. And that's all we have to do. Verse 19 says this. Why then 
the law. So we're talking about Abraham and believing, simply a promise made and a believing. And so Paul says this, why then the law? If our walk is, is to be based simply on believing uh, what God said, receiving his promises and resting in what he has done, then why was the law given at all? Why was the law given all? I mean, does that that makes my mind kind of go, what, what, what? I'm, I'm trying to trying to understand this. Three things here: believe what the Lord said, receive His promise, and rest in what He's already done. I love that. That's simple. That's it's a simple. It's very simple. Remember, I said the gospel is simple. We overcomplicate it. Believe in what He said, receive His promise, and rest in what He's done. Come on, say it with me. Say, believe in what He said. Receive his promise and rest in what he has done. Man, Jesus made it easy for us. He did the heavy lifting. He did the heavy lifting. And it says this, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Because of sin, the law was given until Jesus Christ. Okay, because of sin. Because of transgressions, how many make mistakes daily? How many fail often? Right? All right. Because of sin, the law was given. And the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world came on the scene. Now look at this. Next portion of that scripture says, And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Uh, me now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. So Paul's saying something. He, and I'll break this down for you. On Mount Sinai, the law was given, uh, it was given by angels to Moses. Okay? That's what it says. And angels gave it to Moses. Moses brought it down to the Israelites. In other words, the law was not communicated directly. Okay? It was not communicated. How many ever play that game telephone? With people, right? Someone starts something over here, and then we go down the line, and by the end of the line, you know, unless you're like, you have someone that just changes it just because they want to change it, you know, it's funny to find out what, what it ends up sounding like, right? And so, but in other words, it was not communicated directly. God gave it to the angels, the angels brought it down here, and the promise, but look at this. I love this. Paul's making an argument here, but God, a Christophany, went to Abraham and gave it to him directly and said, hey, if you believe I'm going to make you a nation, a great nation out of you. And I love that. So look at this, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Paul's like, certainly not. Certainly not. For if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. So, wait, does the law given to Moses contradict the promise given to Abraham? Nope, the law doesn't contradict the promise. It does not. No, uh, it simply gives an alternative to the promise. I'm, I'm going to show you something here. This is, this is, I told you, this is meaty. So if you're, if you're a young Christian, this is probably pretty deep stuff right here. We're treading in deep water right here. Uh, it's, it, and he says this, the law offers men and women a choice, right? When we, we can either follow the law or not follow. When I'm talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, we can either follow the law or not follow the law, right? That's our choices, right? You either do it or you don't do it. So we have a choice as people, 
And, and see, we can either receive a righteous standing before God by simply believing what God says, or we can keep every point of the law. Two different things here. And, and, and Paul's making a point here to the Galatians. He's, he's, he's laying a, a hefty foundation, a very strong foundation here. And he's saying, listen, you can either believe on Jesus Christ, or if you want to try to keep the law, you can do that. But listen, you're going to fail at one. One's easy. One's hard. One's impossible. Um, if any legal system could give salvation, it would be the Ten Commandments. It would. It, if any legal system, uh, the, the law to the Ten Commandments is perfect. It really is. Uh, most of our Western society, most societies are built on the Ten Commandments, right? It's about being a good neighbor. It's about doing, doing right, not killing your neighbor. I'm glad that's a law, right? Aren't you glad that's a law, right? Aren't you glad that we shouldn't be stealing from people? I'm grateful for that. Um, but here's the issue. Here's the issue with the law. It's perfect, but here's the issue. It cannot be kept by you and me. We cannot keep it because if we fail at one, we fail at all of them, right? Look at this. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us an example why. And he says this. You heard it said, verse 21, don't murder. But if you hate or you get angry with your brother, you'll be liable to judgment. How many have ever been angry, like, like the wrong kind of anger at somebody? Like how many have ever moved in with hate on your heart? All right. So Jesus is pointing out something. Don't murder. You may not be murdering them physically, but you may be murdering them in here. Right? All right? So look at this. In verse 27, he says, don't commit adultery. Oh, man, here he goes. But if you thought about a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And vice versa. Women, if you thought about a man, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And guess what? Jesus is laying down some heavy heat right here. Verse 33 says this, don't make an oath you cannot keep. If you don't keep them, then you've lied. How many have ever made an oath that you could not keep or did not keep? Right? And, and, and so he's saying that. Anything other than a simple yes or no is from the evil one. That's, that's Jesus' words, not mine. So you might want to start answering yes and no. Just keep it simple. Verse 38 says this, don't retaliate a tooth for a tooth. Anybody ever punched someone that punched you? Well, I'm not talking about your siblings. You've already punched your siblings, right? No, instead, if someone slaps your cheek, you got this one too. It's what Jesus says. Ah, we've all failed at, at these, right? What about verse 33? Love your neighbor, but, but hate your enemies. No, pray for your enemy and love those that persecute you, right? Man, so Jesus there, he's... That's the point. That's the point of the law is we can try, we can try, we can try, but we're going to fail at some point. And the purpose of the law was to point the people of Israel to the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law. And if you've ever failed to love your enemy, you've made a promise that you couldn't back it up. And you thought of a person with lust or you got overly angry with someone, you are guilty of breaking the law. Not my words. Matthew chapter 5, take it up with Jesus. Take it up with him. Verse 22 says this. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So no one can be justified by keeping the law. The law tells us 
that we are indeed sinners and we need a Savior. You know how I need, know I need a Savior? Because I cannot live up to the standard of the Ten Commandments. I can't. I can't. You can't. None of us can. And that is why it was given. The promise given to Abraham was centuries before the law was given to Moses. I like this. Grace came first. Grace came first. I mean, he was pointing out, hey, all you got to do is simply believe, Abraham. All you got to do is simply believe. You don't have to follow all these rules and regulations that, that man-made things. It, just simply believe in faith. And here's the thing. We can find books and self-help books, and there's nothing wrong with some of those about being okay or you're good enough or esteeming yourself highly. Um, but this is what this is what I'm going to tell you. The word, when we compare our lives to the word of God, will never add up what Jesus did. None of us, none of we all deserve to die on a cross. We all deserve to die. Jesus took our penalty on the cross. And grace, it came first. But as usual, man begins to think. And man, and when man begins to think, he always messes everything up, right? Um, here's what we need to know. I don't, and men would say this, I don't, need to be a, I don't need to be a recipient of grace. I'm a pretty good person, right? You heard me talk about that. People say that all the time. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Ah, that's not what the word of God says. I didn't know that it said, uh, you know, uh, you're saved by being a good person. No, Ephesians 2.8 says you're saved by grace. When you believe in faith, okay, when you have faith believing. Uh, and, and man says this, I don't need to embrace the promise uh, because I'm doing okay. I can do it on my own. We can find all kinds of, of books and things that will help us, but the word says, hey, you'll never, you'll never meet that standard. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Guess what? That includes you, 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 me, everybody. Um, no one seeks for God. Look at this. Uh, verse six says this. This, or uh, it says this. This tells us that there is not one person who can say, because of the sincerity of my search and the integrity of my pursuit of truth, I discovered God. That's what it says. And no, the Bible says. None seeks after God. It's just, it's just the makeup of who we are. Zip, zilch, zero. Can I tell you this? It does say this. God sought you, but in order for you to realize that you needed to be sought, the law was given to all mankind. Are you following me here? I mean, we're treading some, some deep, deep places here. So <laughs> let me kind of break that down for you. So God chose you. But we didn't know that we needed a Savior. Then the law comes, and then when we compare the law to who we are, guess what? It points me to Jesus and to know that I need a Savior. It's like a mirror saying, hey, take a look. You're a mess. This is what the law is. It's like a big mirror. It looks at yourself. How many enjoy looking at the mirror in the morning? You look in the mirror and go, oh, you're a mess. <laughs> this is terrible. Right? Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> Maybe I am. But the law is like, it's the standard, and oftentimes in our lives, when we compare ourselves to the standard that, that God, the law, and we're like, man, I, I didn't do that today. I, 
I got mad and I, I thought a lustful thought and, 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 and I think I stole something. I didn't mean to, but I think I stole something or, you know, and whatever the case, and I can't reach those standards of righteousness. And the law, it's profoundly simple, but we can't keep it. We, we can't keep it. So the law serves as, as uh, serves an incredibly important purpose. A lot of people say, oh, do away with the law. But the law points to Jesus. The law points to Jesus. Um, suppose I told my friend Bill um, uh, to, to go down. At, 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 he, he went down to the, the Lawrence County Courthouse and paid $25,000. Uh, I went down there, and I paid $25,000 on Bill's behalf, okay, in fines. And Bill would say, uh, man, that is crazy. Uh, I, just got a, I just got a ticket. It was not $25,000. You, you overpaid. That's, that's, that's too much. Uh, uh, he would say, that's ridiculous. Um, I appreciate you paying my debt, but that's ridiculous. He'd say, that's a mistake. But on the other hand, if I were to say, hey, Bill, there's a new law here in Indiana, and when you drive through town, there's an endangered snail here in Bedford. And when you drive through town and you hit one of those snails, it's a $1,000 fine. And you, they found that you, you ran over 25 snails between here and the courthouse. What would Bill's response be then? It would be different, right? He'd be like, I, I, I didn't know. Uh, man, I didn't know, but that's so much money. I, I didn't even realize that, that I was causing harm. And, and honestly, he, Bill would be like, hey, I'm indebted to you. And that's what grace is for us. Jesus knew the price that needed to be paid. And we can look at him and say, hey, hey Lord, you paid the perfect price. You paid the perfect The law of the Lord is perfect. Guess what? Only one person could fulfill it, and that's Jesus Christ because he was perfect. Uh, converting the soul. The psalmist in, in, in Psalm 19.7 said, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul and that's what he said. So who is converted? The person who hears and understands because those who hear and comprehend the law will appreciate and receive the good news. When I realize I'm not good enough and I don't add up, and I realize I need Jesus, I, 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 it, it, there's, there's just an awakening in my heart. And I'm like, man, I am so glad. And if we aren't careful, we preach the goodness, and we talk about how Jesus loves you and died for you and wants you in heaven without mentioning the law. Okay? I, we, we, that's, that's great. That's grace, and those are great things. But, but really, when we begin to think about where we've come from and what God brought us, and we talk about the concepts of salvation without the consequences of sin. That's, 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 you ought to write that down. That's tweetable. We talk about the concepts of salvation without the consequences of sin. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? It's what? But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that verse tells us that the souls, uh, that sin, guess what? It's bound to die. It's bound to die. In evangelism, we often focus on the warm, fuzzy thoughts. And, but in reality, if we truly love someone, we tell them the truth, even if it hurts. Hey, your sin is going to send you to hell. That's tough, right? And that's why I said you need the spirit to give you boldness to say those things and discernment when and where and how. And I think sometimes the reason we are uh, ineffective in a long-term evangelism is because we have not been honest enough with people to say, hey, that sin it's going to kill you. That, that thing that you're doing, 
it's going to kill you. You need to understand, hey, don't do it. Sure, God loves you, but that sin will kill you. You say, wait a minute, TJ. Nah, I'm protesting. Romans 2.4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And I say, yeah, that's true. You say, uh, uh, but it sounds like you're, you're, you're talking about the severity of God. And I say, yes, I am. And they're both valid. Both are valid there. Uh, to the broken heart, we share grace, right? To the hard-hearted, guess what? We share the law. Man, is that, does that just blow your mind in evangelism? To the broken-hearted, we share grace. To the hard-hearted, we share the law. You say, well, man, I, I think I'm understanding what you're saying there. For the law of the Lord is perfect, converting souls. Those who understand that they are doomed and weep because of their sin, don't throw off their salvation when people snicker at them or when something more exciting is presented to them, right? How many people have you seen come in and give their life to Christ and they just, because, you know, it's too hard or whatever? And have you shared the reality of the law with the unsaved people that you care about? Perhaps you've shared your testimony, and man, your testimony is great, it has great power, but listen to me. And it, but if their heart is hard, they probably say, hey, that's a great testimony. I'm glad that you found God. I'm glad that you go to church, but I don't need that. Right? And such arrogance can only be penetrated with the presentation of the law, and that's why the law was given. That's why the law was given, to show people that the good life that they are living is not enough. It takes the gift of salvation, the seed of promise of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith until uh, would be revealed. We were in trouble because we were supposed to keep the commands of the law, but we couldn't do it. And we were cut off from faith that would later be revealed. Look at this. Verse 24 says this. So then the law was your guardian until Christ came. The King James Version says the law was your schoolmaster. Now, listen, you, this is going to help seal some things that I've already said. So the King James Version says the law was our schoolmaster. And wherever the law was our schoolmaster, it began to bring us to Christ. You came to Christ because you realized you needed Jesus to be the propitiation for your sin. And if you have a King James Bible, the words to bring us are, are actually italicized there in your Bible. Anybody have a King James Version in, in your Bible? It, it actually it's italicized there. And the reason that it's italicized there is it's not there in the original language. It was added. Uh, not that it's wrong. It was just added there. And it means, it means this. It should read like this. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster until Christ. Plain and simple. The law was our schoolmaster until Christ. It was the thing that was keeping us in line. How many had a teacher that kept you in line in school? Right? And you saw that teacher like, oh, man, we got to straighten up. Because they will not, they will not play with us. Stop touching me. We're going to get in trouble. Right? And that's what the law did. It was like our schoolmaster. In, in this version, it says guardian here in the ESV, which can mean tutor, or it teaches us, or it disciplines us. How many love discipline? Yeah, I didn't think many of us love discipline, right? And the law both instructed and corrected the Israelites in God's way until Christ came. And look at this. In order that we might be justified by faith. Oh, here comes faith again. 
Man, Paul bringing it full circle here. Imagine someone's on trial and there's a real evidence that can, could convict them, yet the judge lets them go. How many would be very mad about that, right? I, we would be upset. The defendant could, could leave happy and be on their way. And how many know that that's not justification, though? Justification would mean that the evidence against the defendant would be ob- obliterated, that their record would be totally clean. That would be, that would be justification. Like the defendant, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. God, however, looks at his believers not as being forgiven, but as though they'd never done it. Jesus, matter of fact, when we bring up our sins, oh, I feel guilty about what I've done. Jesus is like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I forgave you of that. I forgave you of that. Uh, it, 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 and, and so in this is, it's because God is a, is, 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 God's not a God who's sitting up there saying, oh, oh, he's just not a good guy saying, oh, kids will be kids, right? It's not, not what he's doing. It's only because of the shed blood of Jesus that blots out our transgressions, blots out your transgressions, and it blots out my transgression. Colossians 2.14 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I got you guys. That's what he's saying. I got you guys. Look at this. That good news, that's good news for us believers. That's, that's God's grace at work. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor given to us who deserve to get what is coming our way. Look at this, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now that Jesus has come, we are no longer under a garden. Guardian, a guardian means tutor or a schoolmaster. The law was our tutor with, a, with like a re- big red pen pointing out our mistakes. How many had one of those teachers? Ah, nope, nope, missed that one, missed that one. How many hate, hated to see those big red X's and, and circles on your paper? How many had more than the rest of everybody else? All right, all right, my people. But here's the thing. But Jesus came and said, hey, it's all right. Once Christ came in, 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 in our lives, the law uh, no longer, uh, what am I trying to say here? But once Christ came in our lives, the law is no longer to be um, a part of our lives. Now, so we, that's a strong statement, I know. We, we are to keep the Ten Commandments because what Jesus did, and I want to I point something out here. Ten Commandments, there's four commandments that deal with my relationship with God. There's six commandments that deal with my relationship with others. When Jesus came, he said, love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those things, and that's, that's the law. And here's the thing. It actually, if it, you know, by God's grace, we can do that. Amen? Amen? So, look, this is a radical statement for you and for me. And God said, uh, uh, said it. If God hadn't said that, I'd be afraid to share that. I'm going to be honest with you. I'd be afraid to share that. Verse 26 says this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all my sons uh, of God. Or you are all sons of God. I'm going to get my eyes checked uh, Wednesday. Don't worry. All right. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith, verse 27, for as many of you as were uh, baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when you became a believer through faith, you put on Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. All right. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus changed it all. Amen. And when the Father... 
looks at you, he doesn't see all your sins. I mean, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> and when he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness on you and says, Aha, yeah. How many know that's good news? <laughs> that's good news for you and that's good news for me. And guess what? That's good news for the unbeliever too because there's hope for you. So Galatians, why are you trying to return to rules and clean up your act and prove your worthiness? It makes no sense, Paul's saying. Why, why are you doing this? Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying here is each morning, listen to this. I, I, thought, I, I found this amazing. Each morning a Jewish man would, would pray and he would say, I thank God that I am not a Gentile and I am not a slave and I am not a woman. That's a pretty, that's pretty bold statement, right, to get up and pray every day. Referring to the same prayer. Now look, look at this. I believe Paul knew this prayer, and I believe he made it a point because he was, a, he was like the, the Jew's Jew, right? Like he knew it, and he probably prayed this prayer. And in referring to the same Jewish prayer, he probably he said this. He said, hey, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, male or female. All those barriers are broken down. <laughs> How many are grateful for that? And, and you see, the law sets up walls and separates those who do this from those who don't, those who are keeping the rules from those who have failed, trying to keep us all separated. But Jesus is like, no walls because God's grace. We're all sinners saved by grace, and that's why we sing that song, Amazing Grace. I began to think about this when I was studying this, and I began to sing Amazing Grace. And this Today I've been listening to a version of Amazing Grace, and it has just punched me between the eyes every time I hear it. I'm like, oh, Lord, your grace is so good. And if you don't feel that way when you think about Amazing Grace, you, you need to say, hey, Lord, check my inventory right now. Saying Amazing Grace, verse 29, and then we'll be out of here. And if you are Christ, then you are, if you are Christ, and showing ownership, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. Amen. So if we're in Christ, if we are in Christ, we are not of Moses, we're not of the law, not out of performance, not out of rituals, not out of duties, we are of Abraham, of faith, the promise of God. And remember, Paul is reminding the Galatians here, which they believed at once and had been bewitched and had been tricked into believing it was one thing. And the, the main thing here, I know there was a, there's a lot of heavy stuff there. The main thing we need to take out of this is this. The gospel is simple. We've been saved by grace, and we're saved by faith. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for this word. God, I know that we, we went through some deep waters tonight, but God, this is applicable to even seasoned saints. God, we are all guilty at times of making things rules and regulations. And Lord, the main thing is, Lord, we're saved by your grace and your mercy. God, may our faith arise. God, may we trust in the promise that you, you called us to, Lord. When we feel guilty, God, when we begin to compare our lives to the standard that you, of the law that you've given us, God, I pray, Lord, that we, that we would be reminded that your grace covers our imperfections. 
the grace of Jesus Christ covers our imperfections. And like Corinthians, Lord, we are clothed in righteousness because of Jesus Christ. God, I pray, Lord, you go with us this week. Give us strength. Cover us under your grace and mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would bring us back at the appointed time. And, Lord, we'll just give you the praise. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.